0: Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer. We are returning to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Last week we began discussing the conclusion of a major section in which Paul exhorted us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ. This section concluded with his encouragement for us to walk in the power of God. We need to walk in his power, in his strength, because of the unseen spiritual power of evil that is against us. Satan and his minions have a plot, have a plot, plotted a variety of schemes aimed at destroying and discrediting the church of Jesus Christ. He does not want for God to have the glory, and he knows that the church was designed for the glory of God. Therefore, we need to walk in his power. We need to be strengthened in his might by taking up the whole armor of God. Just as a soldier in the midst of warfare takes up armor in order to defend against the attacks of the enemy, so must the church take up the spiritual armor of God to defend against the schemes of Satan. I've been reading a book entitled Virtuous Minds by Philip Dow. The overall point of the book is that we ought to seek to develop our intellectual character as much as we seek to develop our moral character. Our intellectual character is the way we think, whether we're slothful or zealous, whether we endure or give in to things that are difficult for us to think through. To that in one of the chapters is on the subject of tenacity. His point was that the difference between those who have greater intellectual success is that they're willing to push through difficulty in the various projects that they undertake one of the examples that he gave was of two students who were reading the same book they're reading the book war and peace and i guess i have never personally read the book war and peace but i know that war and peace is a pretty heavy um, text to be able to get through we're talking hundreds and hundreds of pages and in the example he said that one of the students the first student um both students struggled through the first, I don't know, seven to ten pages, the first chapter or however long the first chapter was, they struggled through getting getting through that first chapter. They really had a hard time because it was difficult to read, it was difficult to understand. And one of the students decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go and watch reruns of Friends or, you know, whatever the latest thing that kids are watching nowadays and um you know, decided to instead maybe check out the Cliff's Notes version, and you know, try to skirt through that way. And um, and the other person, on the other hand, decided to to kind of push through. And you know, he kind of he looked down the road at their lives, and he said that the one who decided to push through gained a better understanding of European history. For example, um, they gained a better understanding of war. They gained a better understanding of politics. And so their, their understanding of those things helped them down the road in their academics, helped them down the road in, in, in being able to realize that they could actually get through the difficulty of something like that. And so that gave them strength to be able to do the same thing the next time they had a difficult task to encounter. And there are so many um, benefits to, to being tenacious, to being willing to stick with something and get through, get through it in spite of the difficulty. And as I was reading through that chapter and considering our text for this morning, it occurred to me that's likely what is lacking in much of our prayer lives. Much of our prayer lives are hindered because we lack tenacity, because we lack the commitment to get through the difficult times. There are so many distractions to praying, Sometimes we start praying and we get sidetracked by other cares, other needs. There are things that happen in the course of us sitting down to pray. Maybe someone calls us on the phone, we get a text message, or, or we just start thinking about all the responsibilities that we have for the day and our minds start to drift and to wander. And the reality is, as we consider Ephesians chapter 6, the reason why there are so many distractions to prayer, even though this is a part of the armor that God gives us, is because the enemy doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray individually, and he certainly doesn't want us to pray corporately. Because he knows that prayer is precisely one of the main tools that God gives us to aid us in standing against his schemes. Well, as we work through the text this morning, I pray that you'll be thinking not about someone else who needs to hear this, not about continuing the status quo of your own prayer life, but truly considering the intent and teaching of the text so that you can improve in your prayer life, both private and corporate, both quality and quantity for the good of the people of God and for his glory. Let's consider the text again in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read verses 10 through 18. And then we'll look at it more in detail. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Father, as we come before you, as we come before your word, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word, from your truth. Pray that you would sanctify us by your truth because your word is truth, as Jesus said. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that it would all be acceptable in your sight as you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we're going to be focusing in on verse 18 this week as we work through the other verses in this section already. In this text, we'll see five principles of prayer. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is communion. Prayer is to be cooperative. Prayer is to be constant. And prayer is to be corporate. And I'll work through each of those in turn. But again, our focus is in on verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's look at that first point. Prayer is commanded. The primary command in this context is to walk in the power of God. And for that, we must take up the whole armor of God in the context of all these verses. Paul says that we do this as we stand firm, being girded with the truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. In addition, we're to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18 is a continuation of the thought of verse 17. He says that we are to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the spirit. In other words, just as we're commanded to walk in his power, just as we're commanded to take up the whole armor of God, we are commanded to pray. Prayer is to accompany our every act. It is the smoke that accompanies a fire. Any true believer, one who has been called by God in Christ, one who has been delivered from sin, raised from spiritual death, by God in Christ, one who has been sanctified, set apart in the body of Christ, one who has been spiritually indwelt, gifted. Any true believer in God through Jesus Christ ought to be a man or woman of prayer. It is a non-negotiable. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen 17, commanded, pray without ceasing. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul commands in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then he says, be devoted to prayer. One author put it this way. Prayer is at the very heart of the Christian life. Not only is it obedience to God's command, but it is a vital means of our receiving His ongoing grace for our spiritual survival and thriving. And the joy of prayer, communing with God, is essential to what it means to be a Christian. Without prayer, there is no true relationship with Him and no deep delight in who He is, but only glimpses from afar. Some of us are often too busy to pray. Certainly at times we're too busy dabbling or falling headlong into sin to pray. I was listening to R.C. Sproul the other day talking about joy. And part of his point was that often sin robs us of joy because it elicits feelings of guilt. And those things condemn our heart. This is a First John 4 language. And the feeling of guilt causes anxiety. And anxiety is a major killer of Christian joy. It's paralyzing for us. Certainly, to that end, being in the throes of any kind of anxiety for any reason can rob us of the privilege of praying. Often, when we're anxious, one of the greatest tragedies of our anxiety and the way people often respond to anxiety is that they tend to back away from the Lord, they fall away, they stop coming to church, they stop reading their Bibles, again, they stop praying. And it's the very thing that they need the most. It's not always the sinful things or anxiety that draws us away from prayer. I like this quote from E.M. Bounds. He says, things legitimate and right may become wrong when they take the place of prayer. Things right in themselves may become wrong when they're allowed to fasten themselves inordinately upon our hearts. It is not only the sinful things which hurt prayer. It is not alone questionable things that which are to be guarded against. But it is the things which are right in their places, which are allowed to sidetrack prayer and shut the closet door often with the self-comforting plea that we are too busy to pray. He says that problem is not always that prayer is second, but that prayer is entirely put out, end quote. Sometimes it's those, again, everyday ordinary things that cause us to neglect prayer, the busyness of the day, an early start to work, too much or too little work, a phone call, a text message, an email, the cry of a child or grandchild, any family member who's sick breakfast lunch or dinner that must be made or consumed we have many good intentions to pray but once we start out with these ordinary things often prayer is left out completely clearly in context again prayer is a part of the armor that we're to wear it is to be used in conjunction with the armor again verse 17 take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit praying at all times in the spirit All the elements of the armor are related to our salvation and the way we think about our salvation. The way we think about our salvation is how we implement and wield the various aspects of armor. This last element, just like the sword of the spirit, is related to the work of the spirit in our lives. We're to be praying in the spirit just as we're to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's all a part of who we are as Christians. Praying is a part of who you are as a Christian. If you don't pray, I don't see how you can claim to be a Christian. we will get back to that praying in the spirit in a moment. Prayer is a resource given by God and commanded by God in order for us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The armor that we have, again, is to be used against those attacks. I've said this before, but it is often the case that we're commanded to do something. We tend to view it as prohibitive, restrictive, constraining, and burdensome. However, if we really understand the Lord's purposes for the whole armor and his means to empower and strengthen us, then prayer, even prayer commanded... Just like every other piece of armor is a means of grace that God gives to us. Your heavenly father has granted to you this power because of his great love and compassion for you. In other words, the same love and compassion that moved him to save us. To grant us an inheritance and the riches of his kindness and eternity. The same love and compassion that moved him to grant us this great power. These weapons to wield for our good and his glory. It's the same power that moves him to grant us access to him by prayer. I mean, what father wouldn't equip his children as they go out into the world? Is it not the duty of men as we have children to equip them with what resources they need to be effective as we send them out into the world? Do you not command your children to take up winter coats and hats as they go out into a blizzard? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? Thus he commands us to pray. Well, prayer commanded is an act of compassion from our Heavenly Father. We're commanded to pray for our good, thus, we must be quick to obey our Heavenly Father, trusting that what he commanded is exactly right for us and necessary. Number two, prayer is communion. It's part of the same thought, the same idea. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Again, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. In our text, Paul uses two words translated prayer and supplication. These words could be used synonymously or independently. If they're being used independently, the first word is more of a general term for prayer, any prayer offered to a deity. This term for prayer could be a broad umbrella under which any kind of prayers could be offered. In other words, when I pray, I may worship the Lord through my prayers. I may give thanks to him. I may make petitions to him. I may make intercessions on behalf of someone else and so forth. The second has to do with specific requests or needs that you make. The intention of the passage is not to teach a pattern of prayer. In other words, he's not saying that you should only have some sort of general prayer and then a petition when you pray to the Lord. We read throughout scripture that there are various ways to pray, various elements to prayer. We try to teach that as we um, go through our service on Sunday morning. We have different aspects of prayer that are intended to reflect the different aspects of prayer that we see in scripture. We have a prayer of praise specifically devoted to thinking of how we can give praise to God. Because he is worthy of praise, scripture is replete with words of praise. It's to be a regular part of our practice as God's people to give praise to him. We have a prayer of confession, specifically devoted to responding to the word of God and confessing or saying the same thing that he does about us, about ourselves. We have a prayer of thanks, specifically thanking God for all of what he has done. Thanksgiving is something to be um, very Characteristic of the Christian. I mean, you know, we're told to pray in everything, and we're told to give thanks in everything. Thanksgiving is a part of should should be a part of every prayer that we utter before God. Finally, we have a prayer of petition. Of course, we're commanded to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So he asks, he tells us, he commands us to pray for the things that are on our hearts, the things that we desire. Again, prayer ought to reflect Scripture. It ought to reflect our relationship with Him. There are often also, you know, different postures of prayer, and I'm not going to get too much into that, but 1 Timothy seems to suggest that there was the habit of standing with arms raised. Paul talks about bowing his knee before God. Others have um, referenced lying prostrate before the Lord in prayer. I remember doing... Prayer walks in college often, literally walking down the street and praying for those whom you see, praying in the neighborhoods that you're in. There's private prayer, corporate prayer, small group prayer, prayers that you can make out loud, prayers in your hearts, and so forth. But again, the intention in Ephesians 6 is not to teach a particular pattern of prayer as much as it is to emphasize the imperative nature of prayer. We are supposed to pray. God commands us to pray, and a part of our prayer is The fact that it allows us to draw closer to him. I found a few definitions that I think are helpful about prayer. One author says that it is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Another one says this. In the Bible, prayer is worship that includes all the attitudes of the human spirit in its approach to God. The Christian worships God when he adores, confesses, praises, and supplicates him in prayer. The highest activity of which human spirit is capable may also be thought of as communion with God, so long as due emphasis is laid upon the divine initiative. A man prays because God has already touched his spirit. It says prayer in the Bible is not a natural response. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Consequently, he does not hear every prayer. The biblical doctrine of prayer emphasizes the character of God, the necessity of man's being in a saving or covenant relation with him and entering fully into all the privileges and obligations of that relation with God. In other words, our prayer is an expression of our faith because we know God, because we're in relationship with him. Well, There are a number of other definitions that we could look at. I want to give you my own here. Prayer is an act of faith and obedience by which a believer engages in personal communion with God in order to seek help to walk in his strength. In the context of Ephesians 6, that's what I see. It's an act of faith and obedience by which the believer engages in personal communion with God, seeking help from him in order to walk in his strength. Again, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith because those who are faithful those who have faith pray it's an act of faith because we are to pray in faith without doubting that's James chapter 1 if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask of god in faith without doubting it's an act of obedience again because god commands us to pray in our passage this is this is what we're looking at we're looking at a command to pray we ought to pray again 1st Thessalonians 5:17 pray without ceasing It's about communion with God. We talk about God being our father in heaven. Well, we ask our father in heaven. Who gives all the good and perfect gifts to us. We ask him for help. He's the one we're asking for help. We're not asking the Pope. We're not asking our boss at work. We're not asking the president of the United States. We're asking the true and living God. Who we can call father. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We're asking our heavenly father. For good things. Prayer is essentially asking for help. And I think in the context of Ephesians chapter six, we see that very clearly that we need his strength. Therefore, when you are too busy to pray, you are effectively saying that you're too busy to ask your heavenly father for help. You're too busy to do that. You don't have time to ask your heavenly father to help you when you don't pray. That's what you're saying. That's what you're communicating. That's what you're communicating to him. E.M. Bounds on Prayer says this. Prayer is the sense of God's need and the call for God's help to supply that need. To give prayer the secondary place is to make God secondary in life's affairs. Nothing is well done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. Again, we are bombarded with daily distractions, disappointments, temptations, and trials, and daily our hearts need are made to bear the weight of those things. And so what do we need the most in those times? When we are the most weary, when we are the most burdened, we need to pray because we need help from our Heavenly Father. And he's just sitting there waiting. He inclines, Scripture says he inclines his ear to us. Again, he's near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. We read that earlier. If you're brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, don't run away from him. Run to him. Because he offers himself to you. He offers his strength as you come to him in prayer. Again, First Peter chapter 5, Peter says, cast all of your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he's a robot and, you know, what comes in goes out. Because he's a genie and you can rub the lamp and get what you want. No, you cast your cares upon your heavenly father because... He cares for you. That's why we pray. Prayer is about communion. It's about knowing our weaknesses, admitting our weaknesses, and seeking the one who is truly strong for his strength. It's an act of faith, admitting that he alone is the one who can make us strong for the difficulties of life. He doesn't always promise that he'll take it away. Sometimes we have to go through the fire. But what he promises is not that he'll take it away, but that he'll walk with us through the fire. And prayer is trusting your father to do that with you. Number three, prayer is to be cooperative. And he says, praying at all times In the Spirit. Well, this is why we must use the Word of God. Prayer is cooperative. We're cooperating with the Spirit who wields the weapon of the Word. When Paul says that we ought to be praying in the Spirit, he's not talking about a prayer language here. The whole prayer language discussion has been thrown around and confused by so many. God doesn't need for us to have a special prayer language, He can understand English just fine. Last time I checked, He created all languages in context the most reasonable explanation for this praying in the spirit is to look back again on the most recent reference to the spirit which is the sword of the spirit in other words how how do we pray in a way that honors the lord well how do we pray in a way that engages the spirit and works with the spirit well we do that by cooperating with his word by reading his word The word of God is the source and guide for all of Christian life. It is the word of God that Paul says in Ephesians 4 is to give life to the spirit. That Paul says in Ephesians 4 gives us life and aids in our ministry. It helps us to be equipped to be able to do ministry. Again, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that the Christian has to yield. And yet it's not the Christian's weapon. It's the spirit's weapon. The living and active double-edged sword, which brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The spirit is the one who removes blinders from the eyes of men's hearts, gives faith in the new birth. The spirit is the mover when it comes to the effectiveness of God's word. Our job is to know it. Our job is to meditate upon it daily. Our job is to hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against him. I love Psalm 19, just as the glory of the sun covers the expanse of the heaven and gives warmth to every inch of the earth, so David says nothing is hidden from the heat of the word of God. That's how important and necessary and essential it is for us. Just as important and necessary and essential as the sun shining in its brilliance, so the word of God is important and necessary and essential for our lives. And the spirit wields the word of God in our lives, and as we make use of the word of God in our prayers, we cooperate with the spirit who continues to do his work. You struggle with what to pray for or how to pray in specific circumstances? <laughs> Sometimes we grow discouraged about prayer because we feel like we don't know how to pray. I mentioned this before. If you don't know how to pray, you don't know what to pray for. Just open the word of God and pray what you see. Read the prayers of the apostles. Read the prayers of the Old Testament saints. Again, Paul prayed twice in this book already based on the truth that he espoused in chapter one and then again in chapter three. There's a beautiful prayer in Colossians chapter one that I love. I love to think on that prayer and to meditate on that prayer for the church. Just pray what Scripture says. One of my favorite examples of prayer in the Old Testament was from Moses who interceded on behalf of Israel, right after the Lord the Lord revealed his glory to Moses. We've talked about that many times before in, in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel, no. Exodus chapter 34, I'm sorry. The Lord proclaimed himself as the Lord, the Lord compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And immediately following, Moses had to intercede between God and Israel because they were were sinning, committing a gross sin. And he interceded on behalf of Israel on the basis of what God had just said, on the basis of the fact that he is compassionate and gracious. Moses interceded for Israel so that they wouldn't be wiped away. Plenty of other examples we could mention as well. The point is that we need to get to know the word of God. And as we get to know the word of God, we get to know the mind of God. And as we get to know the mind of God, our prayers will blossom and flourish. We have to learn to be better listeners. When we're better listeners, our conversations are better informed. This is the reason why we struggle in prayer. And we feel like we don't know what to pray for because we don't listen to God well enough. Try listening to him better. Try learning his mind better. Then you'll know what to say. It's a good principle in marriage. A lot of times the reason why people argue and complain and fuss at each other is because they're not listening well. 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. How can we ask anything according to His will if we don't know what His will is? But when we know what His will is, then we can ask according to His will. Prayers to be cooperative. We cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit, in prayers. We engage the Word of God daily. The Word of God helps us to know the mind of God so that we may pray in accord with the heart of God and have the confidence that He hears us. Number four, prayers to be constant. Prayers to be constant. Again, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Paul says, do all these prayers, do them in the spirit and do them with this in view. He says, be on the alert with all perseverance. Be on the alert, he says. Let me ask you this way. When are you safe from Satan's schemes? When do you have the luxury to let your guard down? To use wartime lingo, when are you not behind enemy lines? When are you not on the battlefield? When are you not susceptible to temptation? When have you arrived in your spiritual life? Whenever that is, then you can afford not to pray. Until then, you must be alert with all perseverance in prayer. The word for alert there is interesting. It's used in Matthew 13:33, where Jesus is exhorting his disciples to be on the alert because they do not know the time of his coming. Or in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where the leaders of the church are said to, to be those who keep watch or guard over your souls. It means to be vigilant in awareness of threatening peril. It means to be alert, to be alertly concerned about, to look after or care for. You ever been downtown? Or in any state that you were not familiar with and you felt the heightened sense of alertness? Maybe sitting sitting on the edge of your seat, ready to jump out at any moment. I remember a number of years ago, a noisy apartment that we lived in, and uh, in the middle of the night, and I'm kind of a light sleeper anyway. In the middle of the night, I heard this loud crash in my house, and I immediately jump out of bed, and I'm like running into the living room, you know, in my underwear. And my wife, my wife's like grabbing my arm. She's like, "It's okay, it's okay." You know, she's just kind of just kind of waking up and. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you, did you not hear that? And I'm, you know, I'm running out and trying to figure out what I need to grab to, to, to knock somebody out. Um, and I come out, and it's the clock that's falling off the wall. I'm like, all right. I mean, I don't know how that happened. It doesn't really matter how it happened, but it um, drove me a little crazy. But I was on high alert. <coughs> that sound triggered something in me. And you can be anywhere along that spectrum, right? You can be sleepily going about your business or you can be on high alert. We can be like that in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we have those mountaintop experiences in our spiritual lives, the height of our spiritual journey. Maybe we go on a retreat. Maybe we hear a particularly stirring sermon. We're engaged in our heart and mind. You guys are probably going to go home and pray all afternoon after this sermon. Some of you guys are going to go home and you drift right back into a state of spiritual sleepiness. Where are you on that spectrum of alertness versus slothfulness? You need to answer that question before you leave this morning. Otherwise, the sermon is not going to make a difference. How would you characterize your spiritual life? Are you sober-minded? Are you alert? Again, Colossians 4.2. De- devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, he says. 1 Thessalonians 5.6, a similar idea. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. 1 Peter 4.7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's never off duty. He never stops. Are you watching? Are you alert? Are you constantly on guard against the schemes of the devil? If you are constantly on guard, then you are constantly praying the church, you as a Christian are in danger every hour. There's never a day, an hour, or a minute when it's safe for the Christian to be in a state of spiritual sleepiness. You must be alert. Your response of alertness ought to be perseverance and prayer. Fifth and finally, prayers to be corporate. Again, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Perhaps we do well praying regularly and faithfully for our own needs because they're our own needs. But just so that we're clear, Paul is here telling us that we must not only pray for one another, but that we must pray for one another with perseverance. We need to be alert for one another in prayer. We talked about this some last week, but the war that we're in the midst of is aimed at who? Is it aimed at just you alone? in your own personal sphere of influence. Perhaps at times it makes sense for Satan to target certain individuals, but that's usually not the scope of his attack. The scope of his attack is often levied against the whole church. That's why the whole church ought to be involved in praying for the whole church. That means when pastor says, hey, we're going to have a corporate prayer during Sunday school hour, and those of you who are not accustomed to coming on Sunday school should come, that means you should come. so that we can all pray for all of us. Because we all believe that prayer is commanded, it's communion, it's cooperative, it's constant, and it is corporate. Obviously, some people can't be here for various reasons. But if you're not in the hospital, otherwise unable to get out of your house to come to the service, then when there is a time provided for corporate prayer, this room should be as packed as it is now. If you believe what the word of God says. Again, he says, we need to be on the alert with all perseverance for all the saints. When I hear perseverance, I always think of the persistent widows. We call her in Luke 18. What did she do? Well, she needed something and she kept asking and she didn't give up. And the judge was like, well, I like this lady. He was like, oh, well, I understand your point. No, he said she just kept coming and coming and coming and I got tired of it because she was persistent that's how our prayers ought to be for all the saints Matthew 7 ask it it'll be given seek and you will find knock and it'll be open we know that this is regular asking seeking and knocking that's the tense of the verbs We already know who to pray for. That's one of the reasons why church membership is so important for the local church, to know who's in, to whom we're accountable, and for whom we're accountable. Who who should we be diligent for praying for and with? He says here, for all the saints. He doesn't mean every saint who's ever lived in the history of the church. This is in the context of the local church. And so we're talking about those who are part of the local assembly. You ought to be praying with perseverance for all of them why we have a membership directory and we have a schedule in the membership directory that aids you in praying for members of the church regularly that's why we have our one time a month prayer meeting one time a month one hour right before service it's not like it's it's after service or it's late in the evening or it's another evening that you need to come out it's right before the service when you're going to be coming to church anyway Once a month, a time for us to do what this text is saying we ought to do, what God is commanding us to do. Maybe you feel intimidated and don't know what to pray for. Well, I give you a list of specific prayer requests that we can use to guide us in our corporate prayer service. As I said before, we can always pray what Scripture says. Even if we were to just take Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18... Pray that the Lord, that we would be strong in the Lord. Pray that we would stand against the schemes of the devil. Pray that we would take up the whole armor of God. Pray that we would rely on the truth of God. Pray that we would walk in righteousness. Pray that we would walk in the peace that comes from the gospel. Pray that we would keep trusting in the promises of God, have that shield of faith. Pray that we would consider often the blessings of our salvation. Pray that we would abide in the word of God. Pray that we would be people of prayer. From chapter 4 to this passage, Pray that we would walk in unity with renewed minds in the truth and love as children of the light and wisdom in all of our relationships. But pray. Pray for your pastor. Paul asked for prayer. So I don't mind asking for prayer too. Prayer, Paul's going to say, and we'll get to this next week, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul, the apostle, the dude who wrote all of those letters to the churches, who planted all those churches, who built up all those churches, who caught a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, who was caught up into the third heaven and saw only God knows what. All of the visions, all of the labor that Paul, the apostle did. The reason why many of us are here today is because we heard something from one of Paul's letters and we came to faith in Christ. But he asked for prayer. If he asks for prayer, I know I need prayer <laughs> because I ain't Paul. Um, and so I need help. Um, perhaps at times it is strategically more profitable for Satan to attack spiritual leaders of a congregation in order to affect the faith of the entire group. We see this again and again in the church. Spiritual leaders falling. Pray. If you don't want to pray for anybody else, pray for me. That may sound selfish, but I need it. I'm saying I need prayer. You guys may not need prayer, but I need prayer. Prayer ought to be corporate. We ought to pray because we are on the alert. We ought to pray with perseverance. And this alertness and perseverance ought to be for the purpose of lifting up all the saints. Prayer is to be a non-negotiable act of faith. It is to be done in the spirit. It is to be done constantly. God has given us this great tool by which we may exercise our faith and obedience, engaging in personal communion with him, seeking help from him in order to walk in his strength. The church is the workmanship of God, his poem to this lost world. He wants for us to succeed, to walk in his strength as believers. And he's given us what we need to be successful to fight the battle. Are you making use of the tools that God has given you? Are you praying? If someone were to do an audit on your life, would they see that prayer is a priority for you? if they check the number of hours that you spend doing the various things that you do in your life, would they see prayer as a priority? Would they see you casting your cares upon the Lord and those times when you need it the most, those times when your faith is tested the most, when you you see those idols creep in, when anger starts to, to swell up, when lust takes hold in your heart, when you are weary and worn out from the day or from sickness, when you know your brother or sister is weary and worn out from the day or from sickness, When those fiery arrows start to shoot at us, you individually, in your homes, your families, between husbands and wives, parents and children, grandparents and grandchildren, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, when those fiery darts start to shoot forth, what do you do? Do you make use of the tool that God has given you to access his strength? Do you pray? Prayer is commanded. Prayer is communion. Prayers to be cooperative. Prayers to be constant. Prayers to be corporate. May the Lord help us to be people of prayer. Again, the Lord is not simply calling for individual prayer warriors, as some say. He's calling for his church to be a people of prayer, and that ought to be our aim. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you. Thank you for your word, which is truth. Your word does indeed sanctify us. I pray that you would sanctify your people this morning from your word as we've considered the command that we have from you to pray, to be constant in prayer with and for one another, to be alert in prayer, to be vigilant in prayer. I pray, Father, that you would help help us to see this as our duty, our responsibility as your people. And that we would exercise it in faith, that we'd exercise it in love, that we'd exercise it ultimately for your glory. So that we may stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. We pray this all in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.